Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law 360. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court here in Washington. And joining me now from New York is co-host Natalie Rodriguez. How are you today, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Uh, honestly, feeling probably a little sleep deprived from the late <laughs> nights. Although I, I, I know I have no place to complain because uh, you and uh, several other reporters were, you know, really covering the last couple of nights of election coverage and Supreme Court coverage and litigation coverage um, into the wee hours. Uh, yeah. yeah. Farther than, than I the went. Mix of, the mix of coffee and anxiety kind of like was enough to pretty much <laughs> take me into the, as you say, the wee hours of the night. But, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more rested. Um, and here we are, Thursday at noon. We don't know still what is going to happen with the election. Um, but there is one thing we do know, and that is that litigation has been crazy over the last few days. Been cases filed in states across the country uh, from the Trump campaign. Obviously, some last-minute maneuvering in the courts here, and so a lot of people have been speculating about whether this is going to be a repeat scenario of maybe a Bush v. Gore situation. Now, obviously, the situation has been evolving very fast. Uh, but from some of the experts I've talked to, it seems like that is increasingly unlikely. Um, that obviously was a very rare event in which the margins in Florida came down to just a few hundred votes. Um, and so the likelihood of that repeating itself uh, is infinitesimally low is what I have been uh, hearing from some people that look pretty closely at this issue. But we never know for sure. That's, that's really interesting to hear. Um, although, of course, you know, just last night, Wednesday night, the Trump campaign did go straight to the Supreme Court um, and asked to join uh, that Pennsylvania uh, suit from the Republican part from the state's Republican Party that was challenging a three-day ballot deadline. If extension, if that sounds familiar, it's because we've talked about it before. Um, the justices had actually before um, split four-four on this challenge and, you know, then declared it was too close to the election to reconsider. And now the Trump campaign is trying to, like, intervene. Right. Right. And I think what we had spoken about before the election was that, you know, if the court decides to take up this case after the election, this is one that uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett could potentially participate in. um, And, you know, a lot of folks watching this don't think she'll recuse herself from this election litigation. But let's just be clear about what this Pennsylvania case now pending before the Supreme Court is. This is about late arriving mail ballots um, that are postmarked, you know, by November 3rd and that arrive by November 6th. So obviously, we don't know how many of those ballots are going there are going to be. Um, that's obviously November 6th is Friday. So theoretically, it could um, be a large number of ballots or it could be a small number of ballots. So this is all going to depend upon the margin in the state of Pennsylvania, which obviously is still counting ballots as we sit here and are talking about it on uh, Thursday at noon. Um, But this could really just be a moot point if it's a low enough number that it's really not going to affect the margin in the state or if Another scenario being that it really doesn't come down to Pennsylvania in the end. So, again, I just want to emphasize that the chances of this really being a rehash of the Bush v. Gore litigation is growing smaller by the day. Obviously, there's talk about um, uh, uh, the Trump campaign petitioning for a recount in Wisconsin. Uh, The margin there, the last I heard, was around 20,000 votes. 
and that would have to go through that phase and then potential litigation before it ever even had a dream of getting to the Supreme Court. So we're still very far away from that being a likely scenario. So I just wanted to just clarify things for people who may be feeling a little bit of anxiety <laughs> about the state of our country. And and as you mentioned, it's it's really fast moving and there's a lot actually also bubbling up um, in the state courts. Uh, so I would just like to you know, tell all our listeners, uh, if you want to keep really up to date (laughs) minute by minute, please check out law360.com. All our election coverage is actually in front of our paywall. So you can read up on just what's happening if if you're really wanting to know the latest in, in litigation. Absolutely. But in the meantime, we need to talk about some stuff that actually happened at the Supreme Court because <laughs> it was a fairly busy week, notwithstanding all of the election news. The court um, heard a full week of oral arguments. It was Justice Barrett's first week participating in cases. And there were also some pretty fascinating orders. So I think the first thing we're going to discuss is a case that was argued on Wednesday. It is arguably the biggest um, LGBTQ rights case on the Supreme Court's docket this year. And it involves um, the city of Philadelphia and a Catholic foster care agency. We've talked about this case a little bit before um, on the show, Natalie, but do you want to just kind of break down the basic facts and what the dispute's all about? Yeah, so this is ostensibly uh, a government contracts case, right? The The city of Philadelphia has um, cut ties with this Catholic foster care agency that refused to place kids with same-sex couples. Um, and, and specifically, actually, not not even place certify um, same-sex couples, which is a, a certain stage before placement that happens in the adoption process. Um, the agency has come uh, back and, and argued that this is a re- an infringement of their religious rights. Yeah, so the Catholic Social Services is a group that's been around Philadelphia for a long time. I think they've done foster care work in the city for over 200 years. And they argue that the city's decision to kind of terminate its contract, or rather refuse to renew its contract um, with the agency, was the result of kind of anti-religious bias. It happened only after a um, news story appeared in the Philadelphia Inquirer kind of laying out its um, anti-LGBTQ policy. Uh, And the group says that, you know, the fact that they've never had any actual same-sex couples applying to be foster care um, parents with the agency is just a fact that this is not an issue. And they're looking to make an issue of something that was never actually an issue. And and that's why they say that, you know, the um, city of Philadelphia had infringed their uh, ability to practice their religion. Now, obviously, the Third Circuit disagreed and ruled against the city, um, throwing out its case under the Supreme Court's 1990 decision in a case called Employment Division versus Smith. And this is a ruling that uh, the Supreme Court essentially said that you know religious groups can't bring these free exercise challenges to state laws that are otherwise uh, neutral and generally applicable. So they, the Third Circuit in this case, said that the you know, city's application, the city's enforcement of its, you know, anti-discrimination ordinance to its contract with uh, Catholic Social Services, you know, fell kind of squarely and safely within the bounds of Employment Division versus Smith, kind of upholding its enforcement in that context. Now, I think the broader context at the Supreme Court 
is that you know you've seen a conservative majority on the Supreme Court that has kind of been expanding the scope of the First Amendment's you know religious exercise clause and uh, providing a lot of exemptions for groups like Catholic social services to some of these um, policies that they claim infringes on their religious burdens, and I think that's what we saw on Wednesday, um, where you had a number of the conservative justices. Um, express a lot of skepticism of the city's position in the case. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who's kind of become sort of the median justice on the court now that um, Barrett has been confirmed, was basically accusing the city of, you know, looking for a fight with Catholic social services and pointed out that fact that I mentioned earlier that, you know, the agency hadn't actually received any applications from same-sex couples and was noting the fact that there, you know, there are other foster care agencies in the city that those same-sex couples could partner with if they're looking to foster children. So I think we can probably say at this point that the foster care agency has enough votes on the Supreme Court at this point to prevail in its suit against the city of Philadelphia. And I think we'll expect um, the su- Supreme Court to essentially rule that the, the the city violated uh, the foster care agency's, um, you know, ability to practice its religion. Yeah, just briefly going back to that point you mentioned about some of the conservative justices really arguing that, you know, it looked like Philadelphia was kind of picking an unnecessary fight. Um, I, I think Justice Alito actually also came out rather strongly and, and made some some headlines here uh, for, for for a statement he made. Uh, along those lines, which was, if we are honest, honest about-, about what's really going on here, it's not about ensuring that same-sex couples in Philadelphia have the opportunity to be foster parents. It's the fact that the city can't stand the message that Catholic Social Services and the Archdiocese are sending by continuing to adhere to the old-fashioned view about marriage. Isn't that the case? So those are pretty strong words, right? And 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 we have a new composition on the court. Do you think the justices are trying to send a message here? I think this is a point that the conservatives have been relying on since the court decided its Obergefell decision in 2015, uh, where Justice Kennedy, writing for the majority to recognize uh, same-sex marriage as legal, writes that you know there still needs to be tolerance of the traditional views of marriage. And so the conservatives on the court have been relying on those words since then to kind of emphasize that uh, you know there still needs to be room and uh, exemptions for some of these religious institutions that still adhere to those views. So I think we can pretty much safely say that the conservatives will pretty much decide or side in favor of the foster care agency in, in this case. I don't think that's really... That's going to be a big surprise for many people. I think what we still kind of have to be um, looking for is just how broad of a ruling uh, the, the Supreme Court comes down with with respect to the First Amendment's free exercise clause. Now, I mentioned that uh, Employment Division versus Smith ruling that the Third Circuit relied on to rule against the foster care agency in this case. Now, Catholic Social Services has asked the Supreme Court to get rid of that ruling, to overturn that 30-year-old precedent, and essentially make it much easier for religious groups to challenge state and municipal laws that burden their religious exercise. Now, I mentioned that uh, Justice Kavanaugh is now the new median justice on the court, and I think we'll probably see him be a crucial part 
in you know deciding how far the court is going to go in terms of reshaping its uh, doctrine on First Amendment law, whether it completely gets rid of Employment Division versus Smith and introduces some other kind of standard for judging when the state law should fall, or just to decide the case within the bounds of uh, Employment Division versus Smith. I think that it's actually not... In terms of, from the perspective of a church-state separation advocate who wants to see that decision be upheld, it's not necessarily a bad thing for them that Justice Kavanaugh thinks that the city of Philadelphia wasn't necessarily, uh, was actually looking for a fight with the foster care agency. I say that because that could suggest that, like Justice Kennedy said in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, Justice Kavanaugh may think that um, the... Uh, the city of Philadelphia wasn't actually being very neutral towards the foster care agency and could theoretically decide the case while upholding Employment Division versus Smith. In other words, he could say even under Employment Division versus Smith, um, the the city of Philadelphia didn't was not acting neutrally towards this religious group and therefore the, uh, this, the foster care agency prevails in the case. So I think it's really going to be a question of how broad the Supreme Court's ruling on this First Amendment question is going to be. That's the one thing that I think remains to be seen in the case. Yeah, and, and Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor, I believe, it actually it kind of was reading the tea leaves and at one point of the arguments straight out asked um, one of the attorneys, if one were looking to compromise uh, you know, in a judgment here, what would it be? So, so it's it, it, it. I think it certainly sounds like, you know, she's looking for for a way to to kind of work around, you know, having an extreme decision on this. Right. But that wasn't the only thing that happened at the Supreme Court this week. Um, on Monday, the court came out with its regular orders list. I think some court watchers were surprised to to see that Justice Barrett actually didn't vote or participate in any of the cases that were decided um, in its orders list. This is obviously the document where the court announces the actions it's taken in pending cases, which cases it's going to take up, and so so on and so forth. The court actually decided it wasn't going to take up any new cases, but it did come out with a, a, an interesting pair of uh, summary reversals in two cases out of the Fifth Circuit. Do you want to take the first one for us, Natalie? So in a seven-to-one ruling, the court actually made a, a pretty significant and rare decision in a qualified immunity case. Um, uh, specifically, you know, the, the court said that the conditions uh, a Texas inmate was held in for a period of time back in 2013 was so bad that the officers um, involved should have recognized their actions as cruel and unusual of a violation of the Eighth Amendment and therefore should not be immune from prosecution. So, th- so, this, uh, so they vacated the circuit court, the Fifth Circuit decision that had, you know, said that these officers had qualified immunity and remanded back to the lower court. Um, so so it wasn't, you know, like a the court completely saying, like, this should not be qualified immunity, but it, it was a, a pretty rare instance, instance where the court has kind of pushed back on that doctrine. Um, you, I think some of our listeners might remember that uh, qualified immunity has been high on on the court's radar uh, over the last year or so. Uh, they mulled several petitions in cases that were looking to rein in or outright reverse qualified immunity protections uh, right around June, but they ultimately punted on the issue. In that respect, it did kind of take a lot of people by surprise to see the court 
um, you know, for once ruling in favor of a plaintiff in denying qualified immunity to these Texas correctional officers um, in the case of Taylor versus Riojas. Uh, Justice Thomas obviously dissented, although I was kind of surprised to see that because he's written in the past about how he thinks that qualified immunity is actually not, like, doesn't have really any basis in the law. And uh, so it was interesting to see him dissent there. But I think it was just a case where the Supreme Court couldn't ignore the egregious facts that were alleged by this inmate, uh, Trent Michael Taylor, against Texas uh, correctional officers where they where he says that they had housed him in basically these shocking conditions with you know fecal matter from floor to ceiling with just a clogged drain in the floor to relieve himself and was forced to sleep naked for days. Um, you know, the, the court basically says that no reasonable officer would have thought this was constitutional. Obviously, the Fifth Circuit had held that, you know, it wasn't clearly established as unconstitutional, but the Supreme Court, you know, pretty much easily dismissed that and disagreed with that conclusion there. Yeah, and I, and I think this decision really falls in line, just as you mentioned, the egregiousness of, of the facts of the case uh, falls in line with the 2002 president that they do have on qualified immunity, that when there is such obvious cruelty that, you know, it is a violation of the Eighth Amendment, and it, it the, the, the officials should have reasonably known that this was not okay. That wasn't actually the only summary reversal of the Fifth Circuit on Monday. The Supreme Court also reversed a Fifth Circuit ruling that basically revived a lawsuit against the Black Lives Matter activist D. Ray McKesson. Uh, The Supreme Court, it it wasn't a complete victory for McKesson, but the Supreme Court uh, reversed the Fifth Circuit's ruling and remanded the case for further proceedings. This is is a lawsuit from a police officer who says he was injured in uh, a, a Black Lives Matter protest in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that he alleges was organized and inflamed by uh, uh, McKesson. But um, the Supreme Court says that the Fifth Circuit was wrong to revive the case without certifying a question of state law to the state Supreme Court. So that, while not over, is probably uh, welcome news um, for McKesson in that case. Action-packed week, to say the least. Uh, I I think that just about wraps it up for us for today, though. I know we'll be watching to see what else comes out of the court, especially what else might happen with any election-related litigation over the next few days. It's a, like I said earlier, it's a very fast evolving situation, but we'll see. Um, And we'll definitely hope to, to bring our listeners that news. But it's been great chatting with you this week, Natalie. Same, Jimmy. Hope hope we can all get some rest maybe over the next few days. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, and our executive producer, Amber McKinney, contributing reporters this week, Matthew Santoni, Vin Guerreri, and Emma Whitford. Music for the show comes from Slender Beats, and for more information about all the high court action, go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law 360 and the term. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe. <laughs>